Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, our story starts today uh, that, that he's really sick, and, and he just he never saw this coming. Um, it, it had been a while. Uh, God had clearly called him to uh, to, to set out, take the, take the message of Jesus to where it had never gone before, and his church was totally behind him. His church felt like this calling was on his life. And, uh, and so they prayed about it, they strategized, they'd gotten the maps out, they'd picked the area, they picked the route, and, uh, and, he, and he finally came that day when he, when he set out on this journey, and so God was with him, and wherever he went, people were coming to Christ, and new churches were started, and it was all going really well, and then all of a sudden, uh, one day he, he takes a turn, and he gets sick. And, and I'm not talking like little sick, like, like flu, uh, you know, cold, uh, you're down for three days, you're down for a week, but he, he was down for a long time. We don't know all the details, whether it was weeks or months, but it seems to be a very long time, a very serious illness, and so he, he's trying to figure out, like, like what's happening. Um, have you ever been there in your own life where, where you, you think you have a plan for your life, you've prayed over it, you're, you've you got it all sketched out, you're on your way, and then all of a sudden there's just like this hard left turn, it doesn't make any sense, and you're wondering kind of where's God, and that's sort of where he was at, and so all of a sudden he's forced to stop his journey in this area that was, he had not planned to go, and, and yet, and, and recover there over the next weeks and months, however long it was, um, and in the process, he, he got to share Jesus with this, this area he had not planned to go, and many people came to Christ, but what, what we learned is that it was not only a powerful time for him, like in his day, and his age, at that time, but, but this was actually part of God's plan for, for all of us and all who would come after in the movement of, of Jesus. Well, today, uh, we're continuing the series that we've been in now for uh, the last couple months. For those of you who are brand new, a special welcome, especially if you're really scared to be here. Uh, it's like I'm Michael and Carmen. Uh, we're just glad that you're here. Um, we're praying that God would bring us people that are, are hungry to know him, to have a real relationship with him. And so if you're here today, you're brand new, we are really glad to ha- have you. So this series, for those of you who are new, is a series called Freedom. And it's a study of a letter from the Apostle Paul to some, some new churches that he and his ministry partner, a man named Barnabas, had recently started in the Roman province of Galatia, which is today like modern day, uh, would be uh, southern Turkey. And so, so Paul and Barnabas had started these churches. They'd shared the message of Jesus, which in a nutshell is it doesn't really matter where you're coming from in life and what your past spiritual background is, uh, how far you've been from God. It doesn't really matter that if you want a relationship with God, you can have it through, through Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection. You can have a relationship with God. And so they share this message. Many people had bought in. God's spirit had come into their life, started changing them from the inside out, very supernatural. Uh, but then after Paul and Barnabas had left, some new teachers had come in, false teachers with a Jewish background, and basically what they said is it's great that you've trusted in Jesus. That's kind of a first step in your walk with God, but, but, but really if you want to grow up spiritually, if you want to truly be accepted by God, truly be saved, uh, truly become mature, you need to do what God's people have always done. You need to start following all the Old Testament kind of laws and, and regulations and rituals that God had given to his, his people. And so it's a very serious situation because if these people buy into this and they stop trusting in Jesus, they start trusting in their own religious performance, they're going to lose their relationship with God 
altogether. And so the Apostle Paul has been writing, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, he's been laying out just the arguments from the Bible, from their personal experience, why this is a mistake, why they need to, to continue on just trusting in, in Jesus and this new relationship they have, and not go back to the old ways of, of religion. That it's kind of a it's kind of a dangerous thing, and so he's been laying that out. Well, today he kind of comes to the end of his argument, and so now he's going to uh, begin to just make an appeal from his heart. It's like a full court press, uh, using the basketball analogy. Which, by the way, go Lakers! Right? It's awesome. I'll tell you what, it just proves that God is on the throne, that uh, His blessing is on the city of angels. Amen. Amen. So just. Uh, that's like great. So where were we? So anyway, um, yeah. so, so, uh, so God is on the move there, and he's just kind of pouring out his heart to them, this full-court press of, hey, man, you're like lemmings. You're, 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 heading, you're heading for your destruction. You need to back away carefully, lay down the gun, like move away from this false teaching. You're about to lose your relationship. So he's just kind of pouring out his heart as their pastor, as their leader, as their apostle, doing everything he can to pull them back. And so uh, so today we're going to jump in in chapter 4. There's a section there in your note sheet called Paul's Plea. It's really a passionate plea as he kind of lays out uh, his heart for them. So let's uh, take our Bibles. We'll go to chapter 4. So we'll pick it up in, in verse 8. Uh, he says, formerly when, when you who did not, uh, formerly when you did not know God. So let's stop right there. Let's remember who these people are he's writing to. These are not Jewish people who have come to Christ. These are pagans who have come to Christ. So, so before Paul came to town, they, they were worshipers of the Roman gods, uh, the regional gods. Maybe, maybe it's Zeus, maybe it's Hermes, maybe it's, it's Apollo, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Jupiter, it's uh, Aphrodite, whatever. And so these are people that they would go to pagan temples. They would do the religious thing. They were religious people. They would go. They would offer their sacrifices. They would have their special meals. They would, they would pay the priest to say their, their prayers. Are you with me? They're, they're very religious people, pagan religious, very religious people. And so what Paul says is, uh, formerly when you did not know God, you're kind of very religious, but you didn't really know the real God, uh, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. And so this is one of the core teachings that we're going to be coming out today, that anytime we're worshiping a god rather than the true god, it's really a form of spiritual slavery. And so they were doing all the religious stuff, but they were actually kind of in slavery. He says, but now that you know God, so they've come to Christ, and, you know, and through him know God, now that you know God, or rather are known by God. And of course, that's the important thing, not that we know God, but that he knows and loves us. And uh, he says, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Now, this is really key. This is core. I want you to follow this. Before Paul came to town, they are very religious, but they're worshiping pagan gods. Are you with me? They're doing all the religious things, worshiping the pagan gods. Paul comes to town. They hear about Jesus. They give their life to Jesus. They start a new relationship with God. Okay? Not doing the religious stuff, just by faith, Holy Spirit, just kind of a new relationship with God. Now the Jewish teachers come to town. And the Jewish teachers say, it's great that you've started this relationship with God by faith and you receive the Spirit. But to truly be mature, you need to add all these Jewish rituals. Okay, You need to start uh, following the law. You need to start eating kosher. You need to start observing certain religious holidays. So, are you following this? Now here's what Paul is saying. If you do that, 
you are turning back to your old, weak, and miserable religion. You see, it's pretty radical. What he's saying is it doesn't really matter whether you're going to the pagan temple and worshiping your pagan gods or you're pursuing these religious rituals of Israel. Either way, you're going back to the old ways of religion, which leads you to slavery. Are you catching this? Can you catch how radical this is for a first century Jew to be saying this, equating going to the temple of Apollo with going back to uh, the Jews? It doesn't really matter. It's weak. It's miserable. It can't change you. Uh, religion will, will kill you. And so he says, um, do you know that, uh, uh, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be what? What's the word? Enslaved. Catch that. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing, and here's what they're doing. These religious leaders have come in. They said, these people have not gone the full distance yet. They've not been circumcised yet. <laughs> if you're a man, that's the last thing you're going to do. But, uh, but, th- but they're heading down this religious path. And so, so they're starting to do, what are they doing? It says, you are observing, notice present tense, special days and months and seasons and years. So apparently what's happening is they're beginning to follow the Jewish way of life. They're beginning to, to observe Sabbath and worship on the Sabbath. They're beginning to observe the new moon festivals that would happen every month that God had commanded Israel. They're beginning to celebrate things like feasts to Passover or Tabernacle. They're beginning to walk down the road of religion. And Paul says, man, that is going to lead you back to slavery. And he says, I fear for you, verse 11, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. In other words, I came and shared Jesus. You're now leaving Jesus. If you go down this road to religion, you're going to lose your relationship with them altogether, and and then all my time and and effort on you is going to be wasted. So he says, I plead with you, brothers. I beg you, become like me. Uh, Of course, Paul was a Jew, but he lived like a Gentile. So he says, become like me. I'm not under this law. For I became like you. When I came to you, I didn't put my Jewishness on you. So now you kind of become like like me. Follow my example. Now he says, "Uh, you have done me no wrong. And we're entering into a section here where Paul is going to talk about his past history with them. And what he's going to say is, hey, what has gone wrong in our relationship? Like when I was there, we were so close, but now you've treated me like an enemy. Like what's gone wrong? So he says, uh, uh, you have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now this is interesting. This is a story that we started the day with. Uh, this is that we, we know nothing about this illness other than Paul talking about it here. Like, for example, in the book of Acts where it talks about Paul's journeys, it never talks about an illness that forced him to stop in Galatia. But this is very interesting. Apparently, when Paul and Barnabas set out, it, they did not plan to go to Galatia, they did, or at least this area of Galatia. They did not plan to go there. That was not their plan. But he got sick. And catch this. He got very sick. Like, like I said in the intro, this is not like the flu. It's not like having a cold. It's not like you're down in bed for a week. This is something that totally shanghaied their plans. I mean, they, they, they were not planning. They stopped. They had to kind of give up their whole strategic plan of ministry. They were forced to stay here for an extended period of time. We don't know how long, but when you read the context, it seems like we're talking at least probably weeks or months forced to stay to recover from a serious illness. And so he says, uh, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you. And so in the Greek, uh, there's an indication that it was probably something repulsive. 
Remember, this is a time of very primitive health care. And so it's some kind of very repulsive disease he had going on. And uh, he says, but even though it was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn, but instead uh, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God or as if I were Christ Jesus myself. And so he's just reflecting back. Remember how our relationship used to be. Like, like when I came, I was so sick. I was repulsive. I had this gross illness, but, but you, you just loved me. You were so anxious to hear the message of Jesus. You, you took me in. You welcomed me like, like if it was as if I were an angel or even Jesus himself. And so the issue is like, what went wrong in this? You know. So he goes on and he says, um, uh, instead... Um, he says, verse 15, so what has happened to your joy? Like, what's gone wrong? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me, which has led some scholars to believe that maybe this illness was some sort of serious eye infection. But whether it was or not, here's what I want you to catch. Paul says, we were so close. You loved me so much. Man, if you would have given me your own eyes, you would have given whatever you could have. We were so close. And he says, so how, uh, how have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, like what's gone wrong in our, uh, have you ever been there? You've had a friend, uh, a brother, sister in Christ, maybe a family member, you see him heading down a really dangerous path and you try to speak into their life out of love and all of a sudden you become the enemy. And, and this is what Paul is feeling, the sense of betrayal, the sense of, of now, we're going to go on and talk about this, uh, read just a couple more verses, but I want to stop for just a minute and do kind of a little sidebar, if that's okay, all right? This is something I don't want to spend a lot of time in the message overall, but it's too important for us as a church to pass up right here. So let's do a little sidebar. Um, in the church of Jesus, throughout history, there are oftentimes when, when there's a certain teaching that comes up that today we would call like a health, wealth prosperity gospel. Uh, are you familiar with that term? Some, some of you probably are. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably seen this. If, if you're new at this whole following Jesus thing, this may be the first time you've heard of it. But, but basically, there's a false teaching out there we call the health and wealth gospel. And basically what it says is it says that, that you're a child of God. You've, you've given your life to Christ. You're a child of God. And so God loves you and he wants to bless you. And of course, that's true. But then it takes it to the next level and says, and because God loves you, wants to bless you, the next step is that God really, it's never his will for you to go through hard times. It's never his will for you to be sick. It's never his will uh, for, for you to, um, to uh, kind of lose your job or go through financial hard times because you're God's child. And so based on certain passages of Scripture, they'll say, so when you go through a hard time or when you get sick, you just need to claim your healing because God wants to, to heal you. And he wants you to be wealthy. And so as long as you're living in obedience to Jesus, as long as you're giving generously to his movement, uh, by the way, uh, send your money to me uh, over the TV, touch the screen in the name of Jesus, he'll be healed. But anyway, um, that, is, that as long as you're giving generously and you're living obediently, uh, if you just trust, you'll be healed of whatever it is because this is not God's will for you. Are, are you with me in this? And so it's a very common teaching out there. It's often, even especially common on TV, um, because it takes a lot of money to fund these programs. But anyway, um, so anyway, it's a very common teaching. Well, here's what I want you to catch. Um, that there's, there's a lot of truth in this teaching. 
Uh, God does love us as his children. He does want to bless us. And God is the healer. We sang about that this morning. And God does supernaturally heal today at times. And God does bless us. And the Bible does say that when we honor God with our finances and we give generously, God will reward us financially for that. Those are all true statements. The problem with it, it's an unbalanced teaching. Because the Bible also teaches, and this is a classic example, there are times in our life when God loves you so much that he will allow you to go through very painful circumstances. He will, go, he will allow you to go through difficult times uh, uh, financially. Uh, he'll allow you to go through difficult times physically and so on because he's shaping the character of his son in you. You see, and there's something more valuable than health. There's something more valuable than wealth. It's that we become like his son. And so there's times when God will allow, and so it's kind of a balanced approach that does God heal? Yes, he does. Will he always heal? No, he won't. And that's the great example. Today is you got the apostle Paul, who would you agree with me? He's a man of faith. Can we all agree that? Uh, he's a supernatural guy, right? That we know, for example, in the book of Acts, in, in uh, Acts chapter 19, we're told that the apostle Paul, when he was in the town of Ephesus for three years, there was so much supernatural power flowing out of him, they were actually taking handkerchiefs from Paul and laying them on the sick, and they were being healed, right? Pretty impressive. That's where the TV preachers get the idea. Anyway, so he... Uh, very, very impressive, and yet here he is in his life, and he is so sick that he has to kind of uh, delay his ministry plans, divert his plans for weeks or months or perhaps years because of this sickness. Are you with me in this? And what you see, this is very common in the New Testament. Let me give you three other examples. The passages are on your note sheet. I'll just give them to you real quick. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. There's a man named Epaphrodites who's a ministry partner of Paul. And Paul says he got so sick. He says he's with he's so sick. And Paul's with him. He says he's so sick that I thought he was going to die. Uh, but God had mercy on him. So here's Paul. I'm sure he's praying for him. But the guy is so sick he thinks he's going to die. A second example is uh, Timothy, the young pastor that's Paul's protege, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul writes him a letter and says, hey, I know you've, uh, you, you know you've been really sick. You need to start drinking some more wine, which is a great little um, plaque verse for the wine cellar in your house, <laughs> by the way. Uh, so uh, I, I, he says, I want you to drink some more wine to help with your catch this, quote, frequent illnesses. So he's a pastor, spiritual leader, frequent illnesses. Uh, the third example, perhaps my favorite, is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says, I was, I was on a missionary journey, Timothy. Uh, one of my best co-workers, a guy named Trophimus, he got so sick, I had to leave him behind on the island of Miletus. He couldn't travel with me. So are you with me in this? And, and so what we want as a church is kind of a balanced approach. Does God heal? Yes. Do we want to trust him for healing? Yes. Does he bless financially? Yes. Should we give generously so he'll bless us? Yes. These are all things that are true, and yet we want a balanced approach. There is not a one-to-one because sometimes God loves us so much he'll allow us to go through hard times, lose a job, 
go through difficult financial situations, go through health issues, because there's something more important to God than anything else, and that's that we become like his son. We become transformed, okay? So, so that's a little sidebar. I don't want to spend a lot of time there. We're not going to focus on it. But as, a, as your pastor, from time to time, when these important topics come up, I just want to like just kind of give you a little bit of teaching on them so that you don't get kind of really messed up down the road by someone who comes into your life and says, oh, you know, here's three verses, and it sounds really impressive, all right? So you can just remember the Apostle Paul got really sick in Galatia. That one fact really kind of messes up the whole health wealth thing. All right, now, let's move on. So, so the point is, in this passage, Paul's saying, what's gone wrong? We were so close, and now we're, you know, you're, you're turning on me. Like, what's happened? Well, the answer is in verse 17. He says, these people, talking about the false teachers, they're zealous to win you over, but for no good. In other words, they're not looking out for your best interests. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. That's going to steal your affections. And he says, it's a fine thing to be zealous. It's a good thing to be passionate, provided the purpose is good. Like our whole, our whole purpose statement here is to unleash a movement of what? Passionate Christ followers. And so to be passionate is a good thing if it's for the right cause. And he says, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, we want you always to be passionate, and not just when I'm with you. So he says, when, when, when we're with you, you are passionate for us. You are passionate for the kingdom. You are passionate for the gospel. You are passionate for the cross. It was a good thing. And so I want you to be passionate just for the right things. Um, and then he uses a couple analogies. And, and you know, so far in, the, in this letter, the Apostle Paul has referred to these people over and over as his brothers in Christ. You know, very tender term. But now he's going to take it to the next level. What we're going to see here is the heart of a pastor just bleeding for his people. And, and what he's going to say is he's, he's going to refer to them as his spiritual children. He's going to take it to another level. And see, since he'd led them to Christ, he really felt like he was their spiritual father. He felt the responsibility. He's going to use the analogy of being a father here on Father's Day or, or even more being a mother, like a spiritual mother. And what he's going to say is when I was with you that first time, I went through labor pains with you as I shared the message of Jesus and I watched you struggling and coming to Christ. And then Christ, he said, man, I feel like I'm going through it all over again. It's like you were never born or something. You know, it's like I, I feel like I'm going through that labor pain with you again. And so he says in verse 19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, it's like I'm in labor for you. And then right in the middle of the analogy, he shifts it. And now it's not, he's not the one who's pregnant with them. They're the ones who are pregnant with Christ. And it's like they're giving birth to Jesus in their life. And he says, I'm, I'm praying until Christ is formed in you like an embryo. And, and so what he's praying is that I, I'm just... I, I want Christ to come to full term. I don't, I don't want there to be a spiritual abortion. I don't want to be their spiritual miscarriage. I want Christ to be born in your life and, and for you to be full on Christ's followers. And then he says in verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm just so perplexed about you. And so he's just so confused. How could they turn from kind of this relationship with God to the old school religion that they've come from 
And it's just so frustrating because here he is hundreds of miles away from them writing this letter. This is a day there are no cell phones. There's no Skype conferencing, you know, kind of video conferencing. You can't jump on a Southwest flight plane for 99 bucks and be there, you know, in four hours, you know, from L.A. to Oakland. I mean, he's, he's just, he's a few hundred miles away, but he can't get there. And so all he can do is take out the pen, take out his parchment, write a letter, pray to God that it works and send it off. His heart's just breaking for these people that he sees about ready to make the biggest mistake of their life, turn away from a relationship with God back to old school religion and, and slavery, okay? So, so that's the passage, that's the flow. Now, in the time that we have today, what I want to do is a couple things for our life. Number one, I want to talk about the danger of religion. And I want you to think about this. Uh, as Christ followers, if I were to ask you, what is the biggest spiritual uh, danger that you face in your life? Um, I, I think for some of us, we would say, well, the danger for me is temptation. There's a particular sin out there that just still draws me. You know, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's promiscuity, may, maybe it's uh, a partying, uh, uh, maybe it's uh, kind of slander or there's certain gossip or there's some kind of, it just kind of lures me. And I think, honestly, that's the biggest spiritual danger that I face. Uh, other, others of us would say, you know, Mike, I think the biggest danger for me spiritually, the biggest danger would be complacency. I, I just take my relationship with God for granted. I don't spend time with him. I don't pursue him. I just go a time on in. I just kind of go on, on cruise control. I, I'm not really listening for the voice of the Spirit and following. And, 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 but, you know, for all of us, I, I would argue today, and here's going to be my argument, that one of the biggest dangers for us today as Christ followers, is the danger of religion, of moving from relationship with God back to old school religion. And so we're going to talk about it. So I want to talk about that, uh, kind of how Paul lays that out for us, the danger of religion. And then I want to come back at the end, and I want to talk about a couple of the warning signs. Like, how do you know when you're starting to go down the road to religion in, in your life? So you can recognize that. All right? So here we go. There in your note sheet, you got a section called the danger of religion. It's one big, big picture principle, and here we go. Um, re, uh, what Paul wants us to understand is that religion, religion leads to spiritual slavery. That, that when we start going down the road to religion, we're headed down the road of spiritual slavery. Now, let me explain what I mean. The, the word religion can be used in a wide variety of ways, and, and there's sometimes you can use it in a positive way. Like, for example, from the Bible, there in your note sheet, Here's an example. When the, uh, in the book of James, uh, James writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so here's what I want to point out, that you, you can use the word religion in a positive sense. But here's what I want to point out, that in the Bible, it's seldom used that way, that that uh, when the Bible talks about this relationship with God he's called us to, it doesn't use the word religion because it's not the word that it wants to use. That what God calls us to as Christ followers is not a life of religion. He calls us to a life of relationship. So, so when you think of religion, like, like what comes to your mind? You know, I, I think of most of us, I said, can write down what comes to your mind. Here's the kind of things that come to your mind when you think of religion. Like the first thing that comes to my mind is really boring church services, right? Kind of that you were forced to go to when you were young. 
and, and you don't really understand what you're doing, and it's, 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 it's sit down, stand up, fight, 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 and you kind of kneel down, sit down, fight, 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 and you don't really know, and you, you go up for a snack in the middle, but it's very small and inadequate, and, and, and you're not really sure, like, what that's about, and like, mom, are they really, is the church running out of money? We just, so, I'm still hungry, you know, it's like, not much there, and and, and there's certain prayers you're praying and certain things you don't understand and, and there's certain rules and certain rituals and certain regulations and ceremonies and you don't really get it, but, but somehow you get the idea that, that God likes it when we do this kind of stuff, that it makes him happier than before, although he's normally not very happy, but it makes him a little happier than before and, and it, and it, it kind of gets him off our back for the next month or the next year or until we go and do it again. And are you with me in this? This is kind of what we think of when we think of religion. Now, it comes in a lot of different forms. But, but what the New Testament says over and over again is, is that's not what God's calling us to, that God's calling us to a relationship. It, it's a firsthand experiential relationship with the, the living God who's really there, where, where we become, through Christ, we come into a relationship where, where we, uh, uh, God becomes father, we become sons, we become daughters. We talked about that last week. His spirit comes into us, changes from the inside out, and connects us with the God who creates us. And this is what we were created for. We're not created for religion. We were created for relationship. And so in the New Testament, religion becomes one of the greatest enemies of the followers of Jesus. And so this is what Paul is saying, and that's why he's so blown away. He says to these Galatians in chapter 4, he says, I can't believe, you're, in chapter 1, he says, I can't believe you're so quickly deserting the one who called you in this relationship. You're going back to this religion. Um, he says, don't you realize it's weak, it's miserable. It doesn't matter whether it's you're going back to the temple of Zeus to do your prayers, to do your, your feast, to, to talk to the priest, to pay him some money, whatever the thing is. It doesn't really matter whether it's Zeus or whether you're going back to Judaism and you're honoring these days and these festivals or these, these Jewish things. It doesn't even matter. It's all weak. It's all miserable, and it all leads you to slavery. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to catch, though, and this is what we often don't, don't catch, is that as Christ followers— who still have kind of that old fallen tendency within us, that there is a powerful drive in every one of us to do exactly what the Galatians did, to turn back from a relationship with God to old school religion. And that we all face this. And you see it in the history of the church of Jesus. You see it here in Galatians Right, in the New Testament, you see it in the life of the early church. Like if you've ever studied the first few hundred years of the church, it does not take long for the early church to get significantly screwed up. And so you move from New Testament, and with 100, 200, 300 years, you've got this, this incredible organ, this hierarchy of organization, and you've got these priests, and you have to pray to the priests, and you have to say these things, and, you, and you're praying to, to, to Mary, and you're praying to Apollo, you've got statues you're bowing down to, and, and you've got to go to confessional, and you've got to do this thing, and you've got to do these beads, and, and there's all this stuff. And it's like, Excuse me, like, where is that in the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament? And it's like nowhere. But what happened is the early church of Jesus, and within a few hundred years, we'd forgotten the message of Jesus, and we'd move back to the, to, to the old school religion, you see? But it's not just the early church. It happens throughout church history. For example, one of the most powerful movements of God in church history was the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. God raises up Martin Luther, recapturing the message of grace in the New Testament. 
So he's recapturing. And then, and then you follow that movement, and there's a mighty movement of God, and the Holy Spirit's released, and people are coming to Christ. And then you go back to those churches a couple hundred years later, and they're just like the churches they came from, right? Or you jump ahead to the 1800s and, and the Great Awakening in the seven, late 1700s in, in Europe and in the United States, the Great Awakening of George Whitfield in and, and, and the 1800s with uh, the, the Wesleys and so on. And there's this tremendous move of God and, and people are coming to Christ and a whole new relationship. And then you go back in 50, 100 years. And what do you got? You got old school religion, you see? And so here's what I want you to catch. There, there is this entropy there's this entropy in the body of Christ. We always tend to go back. And it happens not just out there in the, in the movement. It happens in our own heart. And what Paul wants us to understand is that whenever we move from relationship to religion, that we lose our freedom, the freedom that God gave, came to give us. So, so how do we recognize this in our life? Well, there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Road to Religion, Two Warning Signs. And I want to spend some time unpacking how do we recognize this trend in our own life? So I'm going to give you two of the marks or two of the warning signs of religion. And here's number one. The first of all, first mark of religion is that religion binds. Okay, it binds. It, it ties us up. It, it restricts us. It takes away our freedom. It's what it does. Now I want you to stop and think with me. Jesus comes and he comes to set us free. Right? This is what he said. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's, and this is what we've been learning in Galatians, that Jesus has come to set us free from old school religion. He's come to set us free from our sins. He's set us free from our past. He, he set us free from our dark side. We'll learn more about that in Galatians 5. He's come to set us free to live life the way it's supposed to be lived. That's why he's come to, to usher us into freedom. But what religion does is it always robs us of freedom. It binds. It takes away um, and, and this is what Paul says, it's spiritual slavery. It's not free, it's, it leads us back to slavery. Now, how does it do it? The way it does it is by adding rules. This is the way religion works. Religion adds man-made rules to what God has said to rob us of our freedom. Now, sometimes these are rules that add to and say, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, and this is exactly what was happening in Galatia, these false teachers came and said, it's great that you have this relationship with God through faith in Christ. It's great that you receive the Holy Spirit. But to truly be close with Jesus, you need to add these rules. And so that's exactly what religion does. And so sometimes religion comes and says, if you want to be close with Jesus, it's great you trust him. It's great you have the Holy Spirit. But there's certain things you need to start doing that are not in the New Testament. Start doing in order to be close to Jesus. Or it will come and say there's certain things you can't do that the New Testament doesn't say you can't do. You can't do if you want to be close. But either way, it's adding rules. Uh, so you see this in the life of Jesus, for example. In our last series, we, we studied the life of Jesus through the Gospel of John. And, and what we found, if you remember, is that Jesus' greatest enemies were always establish, the, the established religious uh, establishment, right? That's who they were. The, the, the spiritual leader was greatest. In, in fact, it's, it's fair to say that it's religion that put Jesus on the cross. There's no, no question about that. It's the religious people that put Jesus on the cross. And, so, and so, uh, so religion is the enemy. And if you study his life, the life of Jesus, what you find is this is what the conflict was always about. 
Like God had said to Israel, uh, I want you to take one day a week and, and take the day off. It's like, it's like a holiday, like a paid holiday every day. We call it the Sabbath. And so, so it's not healthy for you to work seven days a week. Like, like you need to take a day off just to refresh, to restore, to reconnect with me, to reconnect with your family and friends. Take a day off. I'll cover you. Okay? I'll, I'll bless you in the six days with your work so that you can afford to take a day off. So God gives them this great gift. So what happens? The time of Jesus, the religious leaders come along, and they say, well, what do you mean take a day off? We're not sure what that really means. So just to make sure we get it right, we're going to add some rules to define what it means not to work. And so what they did is they came up with 39 categories of what it means to take the day off. And in every category, you've got 20, 30 rules or whatever. So now you've got hundreds of rules defining what you should do or shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus comes along and he heals somebody and they say, oh, that's working. That's, you cannot do that. Um, if you want to heal someone, Jesus, that's, that's awesome. But great, do it on Monday. Do it on Friday. Take the weekends off. Right? No healing on Saturday. Right? Uh, they, they come to Jesus, and they're upset with him because his men are not doing the ceremonial washing of hands before they eat. Now, this is nothing in the, New, nothing in the Old Testament about this. No, there's no law about this, but they just kind of added to this. Um, they come up with Jesus, and he's hanging out with people who are far from God, uh, kind of notorious sinners, so to speak. You know, prostitutes, tax uh, gatherers, IRS agents. Uh, even, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, some of you are here. I'll get an email. Uh, uh, just, but, you know, kind of notorious rip-off artists or whatever. And so they're upset with Jesus. And Now, did the Old Testament say don't hang out with people who are far from God? No, he didn't say that. But they had added this rule, you see. And so, so Jesus is constantly bad. And this is what religion does. It adds man-made rules to what it takes to have a relationship. So uh, sometimes it adds things that we have to do. And that's what was happening here in Galatians. Hey, you're close, you want to have a relationship with Jesus? Great. But you need to start following all these days of the week. Sabbaths, a new moon festivals, Passover. What, if you want to be, see, so they begin adding new rules. Sometimes it's adding new restrictions. Not rules, but adding restrictions. And so, for example, there in your note sheet, great example from the book of Colossians, because this wasn't a problem just in Galatia. It was problems other ways. Um, and Paul puts it like this. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, you came to Jesus, you no longer relate to God the old way, the old religious way. Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Now, as we'll see, these are all man-made rules. Uh, don't handle, uh, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on what? Catch this. He'll say it again. Human commands, all right? And he says, and, and, and teachings. He says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. And so people are going to come to you in your life, and they're going to say, hey, if you really want to be close to Jesus, you shouldn't do this. And it's, what Paul says is it's going to have an appearance of wisdom. It's going to look like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But he says, don't submit to these man-made rules. 
He says, uh, such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body. Uh, there, there's a great passage that's not on your note sheet. You might want to jot it down. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5, where Paul says in the, in the last times, talking about the times between Jesus' first coming and second coming, so we're in the last times. Uh, he says, in the last times, there will be false teachers that arise in your midst, and they're, they're going to teach false doctrines. And he says, they're actually going to become inspired by demons. It's actually like Satan-inspired teaching. And so you're wondering, so what's he going to say? It's like we're going to have devil worship in church or something like that. But he says, no, they're going to they're teach things like you shouldn't be married. Well, why? Why would anyone teach, you know, marriage is good. Why would God? Because marriage involves sex. And there's always been a movement in Jesus in the church of Jesus. Oh, he shouldn't have sex, or sex is a bad thing, and he shouldn't be married because that's it's kind of like it's it just hey, it's too good a thing. You know, God wouldn't want us to have that. <laughs> and so uh, there's always been this kind of ascetic move within the church of Jesus of don't be harsh with your body. Um, there's certainly, and Paul says it's not just marriage, but they're gonna they're gonna say you shouldn't eat certain foods. You know, why? Because the filet mignon tastes too good. And so, so God wouldn't want you to have pleasure. That's bad for you, you see? And there's always this movement, hey, as Christians, you shouldn't do these things. Why? Because, because they're pleasurable. And God wouldn't want you to have pleasure, you see? As if, you see what I'm saying? And so we, we add these, these, these rules. And Paul says these rules are not from God. They're satanic. You see, it's, it's not, they're not inspired. These, they're, they're not from God. They're, they're actually satanic. So he says, uh, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't really change you at the heart level. Okay? They don't give you the power to change. So, so here's the point. This is what religion does. It adds rules. And when we buy into man-made rules, we lose our freedom and we lose the relationship Jesus came to, to give us. Now let's talk about our own lives. Because it's not just out there. Here's what I want to convince you of today, that if you are human, which probably is for most of us here, if you're human, you have a natural tendency to turn your relationship with Jesus into religion. This is part of our fallen nature. Right? So, so, for example, let's talk about how we do that. Let me just give you three or four examples. Here's what I'm saying. If we could post up here on the screen, kind of Twitter at it right now or something like that, we could just kind of put on the screen... In your life, all the shoulds and shouldn'ts of your life. And, and we say, okay, like someone who loves God should or shouldn't. And we could put them all on the screen. And then we could say, now which of these really flow from the teaching of Jesus of the New Testament and which are just kind of man-made human commandments? I think we'd be shocked with, with how much bondage we live in because of man-made human teaching that has nothing to do with Jesus, and yet they're part of our system of following Christ. We would be shocked. Um, so, so you could probably think of a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts in your life, that, but let me just give you three examples. Uh, one example. Um, one of the things the Bible teaches is that followers of Jesus, if we want to have a, a close relationship with God, it's important for us to spend time with God one-on-one. It's a really important thing. In fact, this is so important. It's why, as a church, we made it our very first essential, this pursuing God one-on-one. That we want to help you learn how to connect with God one-on-one. Jesus models this in his life, even as his busiest times, getting away from the crowd, spending time. And so, so, okay, so the Bible teaches, as Christ's followers, we need to have regular time with God where we can connect, hear his voice, be restored. That's the truth. 
That's what the Bible teaches. What do we do? We come along and say, well, how often should I meet with Jesus? Uh, How long should I meet with Jesus? What should I do when I meet with Jesus? And there are plenty of people out there who are willing to tell you exactly how this should work. And so, well, well, how often? Well, it needs to be every day. You know, for sure, every day. Because, you know, the devil's at work every day. You want to go, you know, like a day without Jesus, like a day without sunshine. You do not want to, you don't want to go there, okay? And so, so every day, it needs to be every day. Well, how long? Well, at least an hour. It needs to be an hour, an hour of power. Uh, you know, you have power. Okay, well, well, when should I do that? The morning people rise up, 5.30 in the morning, you know? Because that's when God gets up. And, and it's like, all you evening people are going, oh, I'm destined to a life of mediocrity. And... Uh, and so it needs to be, and so what should I do during this hour? Well, it needs to be equally split between Bible study and prayer. Well, what should, what should I study? Well, Bible study, read through the Bible in a year. That's the way to do it. What about prayer? Well, you need to kind of pray for a variety of things, missionaries this day, this day, this day. And it needs to follow Acts, A-C-T-S. You need to follow this adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And by the time you get done, you're like all duct taped up spiritually. Like, who are you? I'm a Christ follower. Uh, I'm a passionate Christ follower, right? And I'm just worshiping the Lord with spontaneity and freedom as the Spirit leads, <laughs> right? And, 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 yeah, and we like, and, and so we, what have we done? We've just screwed over our whole relationship with Jesus by adding all this religious stuff, right? And it's just what we do. It's what we do as fallen people. Uh, let, me, let me give you a second example. The Bible says that as Christ followers, we should not be under the influence of substances. Uh, so, so as Christ followers, we, we, should not, um, we, we should not drink and get drunk. Because, not because there's something like wrong with getting drunk, but because when, when you're drunk, you lose your capacity for wise decisions. You lose your self-control. It leads to trouble. So, so that's why don't get drunk. You, you, you should be under the influence of God's spirit, nothing else. So, so don't, don't smoke pot. Don't shoot up. Don't do cocaine. Don't be under the influence, okay? That's what the Bible says. Now, we come along and we say, well, you know what? That's a good rule, but, you know, how, how many drinks before you're drunk, really? Like, because I've known some people, you know, that like one drink and they're drunk, you know? So I, I think we should have a rule here that Christians should never drink, right? That's my rule. And so then the whole part of the church, okay, that's our rule. That's our rule. We add this rule. And so then we get to John chapter 2, and Jesus turns 150 gallons of water into wine. And so then we come along and say, well, you know, it wasn't real wine. Because, you know, wine in those days was was different. The only problem is when you read the passage, the head guy of the wedding comes out and says, man, this is awesome. He says, normally what happens at a wedding is you, you serve the stuff with the corks early on. And then you go to the box wine later on when everyone's drunk. But you brought out the really good stuff at the end, you see? And so it just kind of blows our theory. And so, so what do we do? We, we restrict, see? Um, uh, the Bible says that we should not be worldly. Okay, so we, so we should not embrace the values and the standards of this world that are opposed to Jesus. 
Uh, we should not impose, we should not, we should not embrace anything that's evil that, that violates our love for God or our love for people. Okay, so that's what it means not to be worldly. You don't embrace the world's values. So what do we do? We come along and say, well, you know what? I, I, most people that wear uh, kind, of, have kind of earplugs, most people that have earplugs, they're not really following Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, so I think we should have a rule. Christians should not have earplugs. You know, we, I, I've noticed that most people who, who, are, are, who have tattoos, honestly, not really following Jesus, and, and so we need to have a rule that just to show we're not worldly, that, that we don't have tattoos. Are, are you with me in this? And so, so what we do is we start measuring worldliness by the length of our hair, by the style of our music, by the kind of car we drive, by, we, by all these things that are absolutely irrelevant, you see, and have nothing to do with their relationship with Jesus. And what have we done? We've added these rules. And so what happens is we end up all tied up and not experiencing the freedom in the life God's called us to live. Now, let me say this before we go on. This is very important. Is that if you follow Jesus and you're, you're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I can almost guarantee you that over the course of your life, the Holy Spirit will call you to some very specific spiritual disciplines that are designed specifically for you to help you grow. And so, for example, there's some of you, God's going to speak to you and say, I want you to get up 5.30 in the morning, come hell or high water, and spend time with me. And, and, and as you do that, you're going to grow. And for some of you, that's what he's going to call you to do. And as you do it, it's going to lead to an incredible new relationship with God. You know, last year we had this Pursuing God class, and, uh, and one of the ladies in there that I know fairly well, that she, uh, she just really felt God spoke to her, that she was every day to spend an hour with him, to get up early in the morning, set her clock, it was, very, it was four in the morning or four, I can't remember what it was, and, to spend, and, th- and this is what he was calling her to do, and she's done that, that's, and it has transformed her life. And her relationship with the Holy Spirit has come alive, his leading, his direction, his empowering. It's been a kid. Can I tell you something? If the Holy Spirit calls you to a spiritual discipline, you are a fool not to listen. Because it will always lead you to freedom. Okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit will call some of you to, uh, to give up your TVs or certain shows you should not be watching or certain kinds of movies you should not go to. And it is a key to your spiritual growth. It's absolutely key. There's for some of you, there's certain kinds of music. The Holy Spirit will say, this is not for you. There's some of you that will say, God will come and say, I want you to downsize your standard of living so you can increase your standard of giving. I want you to sell your house and get a smaller house so you can give more to my kingdom. For some of you, I'll say, in your dating relationships, I want you to have extremely uh, uh, kind, of, uh, kind of very very conservative standards. I don't want you to be out past 11 alone. I don't want you to be over here, you see? And the Holy Spirit's gonna tell you that. And, and you see, what, and what happens when the Holy Spirit tells us something, it sets us free. It leads to a whole new level of freedom. So I'm not against, I'm not saying God is against spiritual discipline. What I'm saying is he's against legalistic human rules that we create and then put on the whole body of Christ. That leads to, to death. Are you with me, the difference? Okay, amen. Okay, number two. Secondly, the second thing that religion does is it not only binds, but it also blinds. And, and by that, what I mean is that 
what happens when we buy into man-made rules is we start to measure our maturity by our rules. And what happens, it blinds us to what's truly important in life. So, for example, Jesus said the, most, the two most important things in life is we love God and we love people. But what happens, when you start buying into man-made rules, you start forgetting that and you start focusing on all your rules. And so, okay, I'm up, I'm up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm spending time with God. I don't listen to secular music. I, I don't have long hair. I got rid of my nose ring. I'm getting my tattoos removed. Um, I, I go to church. I, I serve this thing. I do this. Uh, I don't drink alcohol. Um, I, you know, whatever the thing is. And we come up with our rules, and all of a sudden, we, we feel like we're really growing and like we're a spiritual person. But it's like, the quiet, but do you love God? Uh, well, yeah, I guess. I'm keeping the rules. Do you love people? Not really. They're really irritating. <laughs> but we're keeping the rules. You see what happens? So what happens is we make up the, and this always happens with religious people. Religious people get so focused on the rules, they forget and blind to what's really important. They become extremely self-righteous because they're keeping the rules, but they're measuring themselves by the wrong ruler. Are, are you with me on this? You follow what I'm saying? So for example, in the life of Jesus, um, there in your note sheet, there's a great passage in Matthew 23. He's talking to the spiritual leaders of the nation, and he says, woe to you. Now, hot tip. When Jesus starts a conversation with woe, it's not going well. And so he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices. Now, in the Old Testament, God had commanded Israel that they were to be generous. And one of the ways they were to be generous is they were to give a tenth of their income to fund his movement. We call it the tithe. And so he was kind of weaving generosity into the fabric of their culture and kind of very important uh, teaching. And, and, but what the Pharisees did, just like with the Sabbath, is they said, well, a tithe of what? And so in just kind of, oh, it's a tithe, 10%. Like they nailed this down every little level to the point where they're tithing off their herb gardens. You know, like in your kitchen, you've got that little herb garden up there in, in your windowsill. They're like counting the sprigs of mint, you know, one, two, ten, here's for God. You know, it's like they are, they're told, and so, so here's what he says. He says, uh, you, you give a tenth of your spices, the mint, the dill, the cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Well, like what? Well, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, you know, justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former. You what? You blind guides. And you see, this is what happens. When we buy into religion, we become increasingly blind. That we start measuring our spirituality by the things that don't really matter that much. And, and what we do is we become blind to what really does matter, loving God and, and loving people. So here, here's what Paul's saying in Galatians. He's coming to this message, he's saying, hey, you're Christ followers now. Uh, we've gotten rid of that old school religion. And you used to worship these. That, that's God. Don't go back to that stuff. You, you are sons and daughters of the living God. You, you have a relationship with God. He's your father. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Why in the world would you ever want to go back to adding these man-made rules of this old school religion? That will lead you to slavery. That will destroy your relationship with Jesus. And, and so this is the message. That as Christ followers, one of the greatest dangers we have is creating man-made rules 
adding them to what it means and what it does. It binds us, it steals our freedom, it robs us of relationship, and it blinds us to what's really important in life. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. Just explore these things and, and to seek out your word. And we just thank you so much that you've not called us to old school religion. You've called us to this relationship that's alive, it's real, it's by your spirit. And we just pray that you continue to release your spirit more in our lives and in our church, that we would learn to listen to his leading and his guiding so that we can grow, become the people you meant us to be, loving you, loving other people, and doing that well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Wow, that's the message of Galatians, that God has come. He's tearing down these walls that have separated us. And one of the biggest walls is the walls of religion. You know, Jesus once talked to that woman at the well, that Samaritan woman, and she says to him, um, I've got a question for you. Obviously a prophet. I've got a question. Like, you Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem. We Samaritans, we, we believe you should worship about here at Mount Gerizim. Like, like what's, what's the right place to worship? And Jesus says, that's the wrong question. He says, the days of religion are over. In the future, you, you'll not worship in Jerusalem. You won't worship in Mount Gerizim, for a time is coming, and it's now come with my coming, that, that you will worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what we just say. And this is what God is calling us to as a church, men and women. He's calling us to move past religion. He's calling us to move into relationship. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new father, as we've talked about last week. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit to lead and guide you. It's, it's all about relationship. Are you with me in this? It's all about it. And, and as he leads us as a church into our future, you know what's going to happen? We're, we're going to get more and more free. And we're going to get better and better just loving God and loving people. And, and inch by inch, we're going to strip off this duct tape that's been kind of tying us down and we're going to learn how to run into this freedom that Jesus died to give us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, you know, uh, next week, next week, I, have you ever had a time in your life you feel like God made you a promise and it's taken a really long time for it to come through? That's our topic next week. As we continue in our study in Galatians, we're going to talk about, about waiting on God waiting on God for what he's promised when it seems like the promise is long overdue and, and deeply in question. And, and so I hope you can join us as we continue this study. But until there, may, may the God of freedom be with you. Uh, may, may the God of liberty be with you. May the spirit who brings freedom, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, may the spirit who brings freedom, may, may he be your leader this week. And may, and may you rise up and you move into the freedom that Jesus died to give you the freedom of sons and daughters. And, and may you learn to revel in, in that freedom that Christ has given you. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.